Hey, this is James, and before we get into our episode today, I just wanted to put a quick plug in for my new ebook. Please check it out. Spent a lot of time creating it. Go to ccsalespro.com/steps. ccsalespro.com/steps. The ebook's title is Merchant Sales in Six Steps, and the idea is what ebook would I have created for myself if I could go back in time 10, 11 years when I was getting started in the industry, if I could create one document today and go back in time and deliver it to myself, what would I write? And that is the ebook that I created. Whether you're an experienced agent, new to the industry, I'd love for you to check it out. ccsalespro.com slash steps. Let's jump into our episode today. Super excited about the interview I did with Matt Hoskins, the CEO of PayProTech. Amazing interview, so much information about integrating with point of sale and ISVs and taking these technology partnerships, making them practical out in the field, selling merchant services. You're not going to want to miss it. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. I am here with Matt Hoskins, the founder and CEO of PayProTech. We're going to be talking today about building an ISO in an ISV world and talking about integrating and technology and all kinds of fun stuff, building a team. So um, before we do that, Matt, I'd love for you to give our audience a little bit of a background on you and how you got into the industry and ended up founding and uh, running PayProTech. Yeah, I would love to do that. First of all, thanks for having me, James. Really appreciate it. Uh, you known you for quite some time. Yeah. I know the exact date, but if I had to guess, I would say eight to ten years. Yeah, and, a long uh, time. Just a, uh, an admirer from afar of all the things that you know you do every day. I think that uh, most of us, and I'm talking from executive level all the way down to an agent, look at the stuff that you do, and, and you know we would say, "Man, would love to do that stuff." Just don't have the energy, and frankly, <laughs> just don't have the sure. the uh, you know the the admiration and the drive. So first and foremost, thanks for having me, and really uh, oh, thanks, an admirer of what you do every day. Appreciate it. And then uh, yeah, no worries. And so for Paper Tech, man, we're a uh, 2003 uh, startup. We used to answer the phone, payment processing technologies. And uh, as you could you could uh, tell by that that's a version right there. It got old really <laughs> quick, and so I had to think of a sure. way to not be able to, you know, be tongue-tied every every time I answered the phone. And and uh, we came up with the acronym PayProTech. Most people add an H to the end, but it's really not. It's just uh, the first three letters of payment processing and technologies, right? And so right. that was an 03 startup. And in 05, we uh, had maybe a 1,000 accounts by then, uh, half of which I had sold personally, along with a few buddies. Um, and so we, we went out and, and sought some investor capital, and we were able to raise – um, just a shade over a million dollars from, you know, personal friends, really no family members, but friends that, yeah, right. that uh, had saw the growth and said, Hey man, let's, uh, let's give this a try. So Oh six early on, maybe late Oh five, I forget exactly, but we uh, did a registration with chase payment tech mm-hmm. and quit sending our deals to different ISOs and said, man, let's uh, fly the flag of PayProTech tech and see, right. see where we can get this. So, it was an O, let's just call it uh, early 06 startup. And my experience had always been in the insurance agent, in the insurance agent arena. I sold my insurance agency back in 2001. And in the insurance agency, James, we called it renewals. And basically that's the right. same thing as residuals. Yep. In insurance, you sell a policy. And when the, when the customer pays their policy each month, that's called a renewal. And so you get this right. little dribble of income. And after you sell a bunch of people, on insurance, you're like, holy crap, I'm making uh, $5,000, 10000 $15,000 a month. And I knew I wanted to do something exactly like that, right. only I didn't want to have to deal with a customer in a claim situation when they were either sick or dying. That part I just didn't <laughs> Right, do. right. That's not pleasant. Right. Not pleasant. So I began to do some research and saw you know, mortgages. I figured that uh, you know, insurance, mortgages, banking, something along those lines, those are always the tallest buildings in a city, right? It's those right. MetLife's and those uh, right. Wells Fargo's and, and those buildings. Like, I got to do something that, that gets that income coming in every single month. I'm not a one sale and walk type of guy. I'm a one sale and a dribble, a one sale and a drip, a one sale and continuing education uh, that comes in on a monthly basis. And so I found Bank Card, really had no idea that it existed other than maybe some late night ATM commercials <laughs> that you used to see, you know, growing up. Sure. I have no idea what that is, but uh, figured it out pretty quickly. And uh, after about a thousand accounts or so, I think, you know, based on uh, our little contract that we had, we had built up some nice monthly residual. And that's what we took to our investors to say, look, 
if we did this on a grand scale, right. this forty, fifty thousand dollars, whatever it was per month, could turn into, you know, let's say ten x of that. And those investors, their eyes lit up and they said, right. "Wow, you know, Matt, yeah. we've known you for a long time. We saw what you did in insurance. You really think that you can do that here?" And I said, "Well, I don't know, but I'm going to give it my all. I promise you, it will not be for lack of effort." Right. And so, fast forward, uh, James, to uh, the beginning of 2009, we probably had. I don't know, 3,500 merchants at that point, and my investors were ready to cash out. And at that point, I went to another individual who had had some success, even on a grander scale, in this particular arena and said, would you like to buy out all of my investors? He said yes, and so those investors cashed out almost two and a half times their original million-dollar investment. When this partner came in, he gave me the, the money to cash them out and also committed another $3.5 million credit line to grow pay prep tech. And so it was really early 2009 is when we uh, really hit the scene, probably, you know, some green sheet stuff, some digital right. transactions started going to all the shows. And that's probably the first time that most of your listeners would say, yeah, that's when I recognize pay prep tech. Sure. Much like, you know, you've seen those graphics of the iceberg, right? Or the, the tip of the iceberg sticks out of the water and it looks kind of small, but below right, that is right. a huge foundation of yep. an iceberg. You know, it really took about six or seven years of growth and dedication every single day working you know, 15, 18 hour days doing statement analysis till three in the morning to build that foundation of paper effect. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the key. A lot of people don't want to put the, uh, the work. And I would say success is like a big, beautiful house. Everybody wants to live in it. Nobody wants to build it. Yeah. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite guys, and I'm sure you see him on Instagram all the time. I don't like his language, but I love his point and his message is Gary V. Yeah. And he's always telling these younger kids, like your biggest problem is that you want it right now. Right, and man. Listen, I wanted it right now too, back in 2003. But it wasn't until right. 2009, 2010, when when paper tech actually, you know, busted onto the scene. So six or seven years seems like a long time. But when you're in the heat of it, and you know, because you built your yep. businesses over the course of time, it's really not that long. It's it's the love and the passion that keeps you going. Yeah, and you have to love what you're doing. Otherwise, you can never get through that uh, that grind because it's it is a grind. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But if you love what you're doing, then you can you know you can persevere and get through it. Amen, brother. So, Matt, let's shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about um, technology because in our industry right now, this is the hot topic. You know, everybody I'm consulting for is saying, James, how do we get our salespeople from selling on price to selling on value? And I've really admired what PayProTech has done. You guys have great resources out there for your agents and partners on your different point of sale systems. You have a great process for selling them, onboarding them, all that. So talk to us about why PayProTech has such a strong focus on point of sale, ISV partnerships. Um, and then how has that really impacted your business? Yeah, it's a great question. It's really two parts. And I'll start, James, if you can hear me okay still. Yep. I'll start with, uh, you know, kind of the cell phone industry. And that really was our, our model about six or seven years ago. And we looked at what will become of these credit card terminals, your, uh, you know, your VX570s and your PAX devices, even going backwards to what you and I remember as, you know, the old hypercom days course, or the Nareet the days, plus. right? Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, seems a little a little backwards, but it's that's that's where we were, right? right. And it's really uh, talks about what can this device do for the business owner to save them time, to save them money, and to really look at the amount of people that they need in order to run their business. And with the cell phone, if you recall, and, and I'm just talking about the one that I used to have. I used to have a Motorola flip phone and man, was I cool with that <laughs> Motorola flip phone. It had a, like a little rubbery antenna. It used to pull up. It was maybe four or five inches tall. Sure. And I would walk around doing the Zach Morris. You know what I mean? Yep. And I was like, Hey, look at me and my flip phone. But what I didn't realize when I had that is it was just a flip phone. The only thing I could really do was make a cell phone call on it. Now I could text but I would have to press like the six <laughs> button four times and the two, you know, just to say, Hey, James took me what, two and a half minutes. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's assuming that I was focused. Right? right. And so what happened was, and you remember this was in 2007, you know, Nate would probably know better in my organization. The iPhone came along and it really revolutionized what right. the cell phone was and what it meant to someone like James Shepard or what it meant to someone like Matt Hoskins. All of a sudden I could do, telephone calls. I could do texting. I could shoot a video. I could be on the internet. Maybe I used it as my camera. And then these apps came along and I could check my banking. I could see exactly what was happening in my bank account, which was revolutionary. 
I could use it as a credit card, which we know today. I could even, James, track my children via these things. And so all of a sudden, this one device, which was a flip phone, while it was cool then, like this iPhone became something extraordinary. And so as I looked at payments, and this is just the way my mind works, I was like, okay, if it's happening here, it's going to happen in other sectors. So we began a long time ago, five years ago, to think, what will these credit card machines be like one day? And now, today, we all know, you know, Clover, Pay Anywhere, Paradise, Vend, Square Register, which everybody's competing with, right? You can do credit cards. You can do time clock, payroll, what else? Web reports, I think, for your accountant. So if I give my accountant access to my username and password in my POS, I never have to talk to my accountant. Right. I'm just like, here, you figure it out. I'll show you everything that's going on in my business. Right. I can uh, CRM, keep track of all my customers. Yep. If I have their email or if I have their cell phone number, I can text them. I can send them messages. Hey, we're having a special today. The geolocation. Like all of this stuff is the exact same tracking pattern that happened with the iPhone or the cell phone industry. And you knew that it was going to happen. You just didn't know when. And I still say, James, that we're on the the cusp of this taking place over the next three to five years. And it's going to be those people, those sales agents, whether they're bank card agents, they're selling working capital, maybe they're doing some payroll stuff. There's all kinds of people. And I'm sure you consult for many of them that, that are trying to figure out where it is. And I still feel like we're on the 2009, 2010 iPhone four. Yeah, it's still early. Mm. And so that's, that's really where we're at. So about, Three years ago, I think it was three years ago, maybe the summer of 2016, I just started personally. I said, hey, guys, you run the business. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go find some people that really understand the point of sales space, and I'm going to build a team that's going to support our sales agents in the point of sales space alone. doesn't mean they don't, they don't, they don't have to stop selling Verifone or stop selling packs, but give them an option so that they don't have to, to learn every single word or the lingo like all they have to do is just give a basic introduction to their clients and then we do the rest yeah so i found four individuals and this is crazy like you know i believe in all sorts of weird things but it's really not weird to me i really feel like you know this was this was a divine appointment but four individuals who had sold aloha digital dining easy dine Mm -hmm. micros and, and a lot of them had FD experience. They had Heartland experience. And so they knew both sides of the business. Right. And so what I did is I just went to them and I said, listen, I know you're not going to join me unless, A, I pay you more, B, I guarantee the income, and C, I house you in an office that has state-of-the-art technology, super fast internet, and, and give you this place where you feel comfortable. And we, we've always been very good at that at paper. Like most of our employees – 25 strong have at least 10 years of experience, which is, you know, kind of unheard of in this industry. Yep. And so really the whole premise was, and this is what we did is we set up this office and it took time to build, you know, six months a year. And we started offering these products like paradise, like pay anywhere, like Aloha, micros, Vend, trying to think of a couple others early on Clover, even that, these guys became the specialists. These gals and these guys became the specialists. All the sales agent had to do, James, was give a basic introduction, say a few keywords, give out a few pieces of marketing. And if you've seen any of our marketing, our sales flicks, we have a top-notch team that does all the stuff in-house. We don't outsource it. And we can put your name on it, put your telephone number on it. And then when that merchant calls in, you just say, hey, I'd like to schedule an appointment with our sales team with our point of sale team, who's going to go through a demo, give you three or four options, talk to you about what you need. And ultimately we're going to land on a product. The sales agent is just the introductor, the introductory, however you want to call that. Sure. And then our POS team takes over after that. And the most beautiful part about it is that the sales agent or the sales partner gets paid exactly if they did the deal themselves with no help. Right. And it's this, so I really want to, I really want to dig in here because this is so uh, important and and so few people have really gotten this right and figured this out. But you know what you're saying is, and correct me if I'm wrong. You know 
your salespeople are out in the field, they're selling merchant services, they're selling their VX520s or whatever, and they want to transition. I mean, every salesperson I talk to, they all say, you know, James, I want to sell point of sale. I want to sell, you know, Clover. I want to sell Paradise. I want to sell Vend. I just don't understand it. I don't know how to present it. And so what you did, the way you've approached this is, you know, taken the complicated technology part away from the sales professional and said, hey, look, you're really good at sales. I'm going to bring people in and hire people that are really good at technology. And then you can work together to, you know, accomplish this objective of, of selling it. And so, you know, that that part of they're just making the introduction and then your people are kind of taking over the demo stage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying. It's almost it's almost intro, which salespeople are, are very good at, bank yep. card salespeople. They, they see a lot of people, they make a lot of right. contacts, they make a lot of presentations. It's just the, and I'm the same way, even from founder, CEO level, I, I don't know diddly about POS, right? I mean, I know very little. Most people right. know more about me, more, more than me. Right. But what I do know how to do is walk in, have a conversation. I see a sign you know, that says, uh, no transactions, less than $10. You can use your card. You have to use cash. I, I always see something that strikes my, my, you know, antenna that says something's wrong at this business. Right. How can technology help it? I just don't know the answer of what the technology is. Therefore I have to hire people that can come in and do that. And so I was doing that already for myself. Right. I just needed to allow my sales partners to, to have the same, yeah, the same type of, of uh, ability to execute. And, and what I learned, James, really is by studying the point of sale dealer, you know, your Aloha dealer, your mm -hmm. digital dime dealer, right. your micros dealer. What I learned really from, from their model, because what they have in their model, which I believe is, is gone the wayside of like the blockbuster video model, I, I think that it's almost extinct, is that their infrastructure really exists of three parts. Number one is a sales team. Really good salespeople because what are they selling? They're selling thirty to forty thousand dollar, right? You know, tickets. Like you have to be a good salesperson. Behind that salesperson comes in an install team, which is completely separate from the sales team. And those install guys are unbelievable, right? right. They know how every blue cord and every end and how to run things through the tiles and the ceiling. Like they're amazing. And then behind that install team, after it's already up and running, then you have a separate team that's a support team. And if anything goes wrong with batching or you know, right. I don't know how to enter a tip or the tip didn't adjust. Well, they're calling this number that is a support thing. So really you have three distinct parts right. inside of the dealership. And so that's really what we set to accomplish with our POS team, right? And so our POS team, you have the sales team, which already exists. That's the amazing partners that are out there with PayProtech or ArborTouch or Nuve or whoever it is. There's a bunch of talented salespeople out there. But what doesn't exist is the last two things. Where's the install team? Because me as a bank card rep, I don't want to install anything. I mean, right. I can install, you know, one alpha alpha eight six three one, whatever that one is for a, for a verified. But I can't install, you know, an Aloha system. I got no chance. And then, thirdly, where is that support team? And that support team is crucial because the moment that there's a problem, like they're gonna call me as the bank card rep, and I have to have people that can back me up in there because maybe I know the answer, which is classic, right? any technical support team you call, have you unplugged it and plugged it back in? Right, right. I can say that. James <laughs> Shepard can say that. Right. Anybody can that's say as far that. As but we if got. that doesn't work, then what? Right. And so that's really what, what we've accomplished is step two and step three, the install team, the support team. Because the truth is, POS isn't really that difficult, but the perception for a bank card sales rep who has typically walked in, done an analysis, most of the time gotten the deal signed on the spot, Maybe you have to come back one or two times to find that business owner. Like we're used to that fast turn. We're used to those 300, those $400 bonuses. But on the back end in today's society, like who really wants a flip phone? Right. No one. I, I could not convince you, James Shepard, to go away from your iPhone, nope. to go away from your Galaxy back to a flip. There's no possible way. And that's where we're going in the, in the, in the credit card industry is once somebody experiences point of sale, there's no possible way they're going back to a credit card machine. And that's really the, the premise of what you and I are talking about, Riley. How do I, as a bank card sales rep, position myself to take advantage of the next 24, 36, 60 months so that when I look back on my retirement using air quotes, whatever that looks like for any bank card sales rep out there, 
I actually have something versus somebody else that's going to come in because I'm only slinging terminals, right. selling POS and taking all my hard work away to where my residuals really aren't even real. They're a fallacy. Yeah. So, so let's dive into these challenges because I'm sure that, you know, implementing what you just described, I mean, what you just described is not the normal ISO. Um, so talk to us about this process of five, six years, whatever it's been of you creating these other two steps of the install team. And, and really even more than that, I feel like for you, it's also kind of an extension of sales because these are people doing the demo and kind of evaluating needs and stuff. So what were the key challenges that you faced in trying to transition from a terminal focused ISO to a point of sale focused ISO? Well, I think number one, it's, a, it's an amazing question. Number one is identifying the customer. And that's really where all of us you know, fail sometimes because we get this hot idea in our mind about, you know, working capital or the mm -hmm. Clover Flex or, you know, whatever it is that we're selling. And we just assume every single person needs that. And we go running in there and we hold it out and we shout it from the, hey, check this out. Hey, check this out. When, I, when really we've never identified, you know, the whether need. or not they're even a candidate for that particular deal. Right. And the same thing happens here. Like I never tell someone like quit selling or quit giving away or whatever your scenario is quit don't quit doing verifone or don't quit doing packs or don't right. quit doing your base level services because there are many clients your startups your ten thousand dollar monthly volume that that probably are never going to get to the pos stage they're going to be in business for a year three years five years and they're just never going to make it out of that scenario right. so don't push something that they'll never buy, they'll never need. Because as you know, you and I both know, is that there's typically some sort of monthly fee, a SaaS fee, right. a, you know, whatever you want to call that trailing fee that's associated with these products that we're selling in the point of sale environment or some hefty upfront fee that comes along with it. And so really number one is identifying your customer. Number two, I would say, is understanding your partnerships. And so, you know, I don't own a point of sale business. I don't own Aloha. I don't own, you know, Paradise. I don't own Clover. Neither do you and, and neither do any of the other partners that, that your audience is or that my audience is. But you have to feel comfortable right. with the ones that you do represent. And listen, I, I've probably repped them all over the course of my 15 years in the business. And the, the biggest one comes down to step two and step three. Will they install properly? And will they support properly? And if you believe in both of those things and you've experienced both of those things, then you have the ability and the faith really to sit down in front of a customer, regardless of their size, 30,000 a month, 300,000 a month, and say, I can deliver you a product that will work. I just have to be able as the bank card sales agent to talk a little bit about, you know, one, two, three, four points of aspect before I deliver them to the stage of, you know, referral for the demo is which is when the POS team comes in. And then going back to your original question here, you're, you're exactly right. It took us, I don't know, 16, 18, 24 months of kind of fumbling around doing sure. you know, email appointments back and forth. And will they show up? Will they not show up? You know, is the agent going to be, you know, faithful in, in being there at that appointment, forget the agent. Will the merchant actually be there? And do they have 30 minutes or 45 right. minutes, which is a huge issue most of the time. Yeah. And so we, we developed in the portal, and this really is a technology answer. We developed inside of our portal the ability to connect an appointment using Calendly and a couple other, you know, different softwares that fit this, fit this niche and this, and this purpose perfectly is to be able to connect email connect via text with both the merchant and the agent and then get our POS team on the line and really figure out what it is that this merchant needs to accomplish or needs to solve as the problem. And if that only takes five minutes, James, perfect. Right. If that takes three hours, which sometimes it does, then we have to spend the three hours. Whereas in right. the in the VX scenario or the PAC scenario, like there really isn't anything that I could talk three hours about. Right. Right. It's like, do you have dial up? Do you have IP? Do you want to accept gift cards? Do you need a pin pet? Right. Like outside of that, those four right. questions, what else really could I be talking about? And so that, that took us the better part. Let's just call it two years right. to figure out that particular process. And that's really where the pain was right. that has allowed us to, you know, catapult in your eyes and most people's eyes and mine too as the leader in 
you know, helping agents through this process. Lastly, just let me say this. There have been several, and when I say several, you know, I talk to probably a hundred, let's just say bank card reps every mm-hmm. single month. I would say several, probably seven to 12% that have successfully been able to make this leap or this transition mm-hmm. to change their entire lingo, their entire thought process right. away from credit card machines to point of sale systems. Right. And, and I gladly just tell those people like, you don't need me. You don't need my point of sale team. You, you've got it, right? right? You've got it. Let's figure out a way to get most of the commission, most of the bonus. And when I say most 80, 90% in your hands, because you, you've got it and you deserve it. And when you're going toe to toe against toast or you're going toe to toe right. against light speed, or you're going toe to toe against square register and you're a bank card guy and you start winning those deals right. without the help of someone else, you're there. You've arrived. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like you said, I mean, and I think you're 7 to 12%, at least in my experience, that seems high to me, <laughs> right? Like, that's generous, you know? Like, it is a very small, it's the unicorn. It's a very small percentage of the agents that have, you know, because it's it's a shift into more of, you know, when you're selling terminals, you know, it's so simple because when you walk in, you know that no matter what type of merchant it is and no matter how they're processing, you're going to pitch them on savings. And that's it. You don't have to worry about anything yep. else. Whereas when you walk in and you're selling point of sale for Paradise, Micros, Vend, and four others, you have no idea what you're going to pitch to them yet. You literally have to discover their needs first and then come back around with this you know, pitch. And so it's, it's definitely a challenge. So talk to us about training the agents. I would imagine that this was quite the, <laughs> the shift to say the least. So how did you roll this out to your agent team and how do you continue to roll it out and train them and get them excited about these other alternatives in this, this, you know, demo process that you put in place? Yeah. Amazing question. And then the answer is that there is no secret sauce to training sales agents. There's no secret sauce to you know, email marketing and no and we all get them, right? Like when right. I open my email every morning, there's probably seven or eight solicitations from my competitors right. to say, Hey Matt, you know, I, I don't know that you're the CEO of paper effect, but I do know that you're on this list. I bought that has bank card agents <laughs> come over and do come over to do my thing. Right. Right. And so, you know, we compete against that, but where paper tech has always been, I would say successful, different, special. I mean, it's not on the, you know, the scale of first data or the scale of pieces or the scale of whatever, but where Paprotech has been successful is that one-to-one, you know, access to myself, access to Danny Shard, access to Nate Manahan, access to, mm-hmm. you know, Billy West, who have been here since day one, is that it just takes time. It takes commitment. I mean, you know, I- I'm here in West Palm Beach, Florida at the moment doing this show with you. And the reason that I'm here is because I'm dropping off my third child for their junior year of university. And university, as you and I know, James, that's a four-year process, right, Right. to get that degree. And I'm not saying that point of sale is a four-year process, but it's certainly not a four-day process. And it's not a four-week process. It's a commitment to say, I want to change from where I have been. And I have been successful. I'm not talking about Matt. I'm talking about James. I'm about whoever's listening. Like you have been successful. It's just you know in the core of who you are, in your mind, and in your heart, and in your soul, that the what you have been successful at the last 10, 15, 20 years, whatever it is, is not going to be the same thing you're going to be successful at in five or 10 years because it doesn't exist. It right. won't exist. And so this is just a mindset on behalf of the partner to say, I want to learn this. And the answer is, you spend time on the phone with the point of sale team. You spend time on the phone with myself. You spend time on the phone with our relationship managers, the Danny Shard. And you say, here's what I want to accomplish. Can you set me up with 30 minutes or an hour worth of training on a specific product? Let me learn one first. Maybe I'm very hospitality focused. I need to learn paradise. I need to learn aloha. And I need to learn, you know, micros. Those are three. Or maybe I don't sell any hospitality. The only thing I really do is sell retail accounts, and my retail accounts are really asking for point of sale. I just, I just don't know exactly how to do it. So I don't need to learn those three. That right. All I need to learn is Clover. All I need to learn right. is Pay Anywhere. All I need to learn is Vend. And right. so that's really step one is identifying where I'm at, what I need to learn. And then step two is just making the daily commitment. One thing that Paper Tech does 
and it's expensive. And there's been a lot of times we've been sitting down with the executive team, like, do we really want to continue to spend $20,000 a month or whatever it is, you know, $500,000 a year in doing what I call road shows or partner meetups. And we mm-hmm. usually do Vegas and Chicago and Atlanta. Uh, South Florida is always a, an amazing experience. We've done LA. I'm trying to think what else we've done off the top of my head, New York city, Boston. And these are just times where we take two days and we invite partners in that live in the area and we just take a whiteboard or a, you know, a screen and throw up, you know, some questions and answers. And we just sit, you know, for eight hours or 10 hours and we just talk about everything. And you know what, what's crazy about it, James, is that we bring all this knowledge and all this information to the table, but inevitably sitting in those meetings or in those spaces, we'll hear a question or an idea from a partner that sparks our next innovation, the next thing that we're right. going down. Sure. And, and really, I think, I think bank card agents get, you know, lumped into the uh, used car salesman or telemarketing, you know, arena too often. Like bank card agents really are smart humans yeah. and they're driven and they're passionate and they're making money in a way that most people will never understand. Right. They just need, you know, to be heard and to be supported and to give life, to breathe life into their ideas and vice versa. And so that's been successful for us. But, you know, to, to directly answer your question, I would say it's probably a good six to nine month process uh, from start to finish to transition from that terminal mindset, the fast sales process, the fast sales cycle to a slower sales cycle to ensure that your residuals will be there for 10, 15, 20 years to come. Yeah. And you know, you know, what's interesting about this, Matt, is that, you know, a lot of the salespeople today, it's, this has progressed far enough now that the salespeople that are limited to only selling the, the terminals, uh, which, as you said, is still a great segment, uh, the smaller merchants, things like that. But those agents, really, it's even a mind shift of going into and engaging with different businesses that right now a lot of them are just simply avoiding. It's like a lot of salespeople I talk to in this industry, they walk into a restaurant and see that they have some 10-year-old touchscreen point of sale system. They just turn around and walk out because – they don't. They know that they're not going to be able to sell a terminal to that person. If anything, they're going to need an upgraded system, and so they're not even engaging. So I'm guessing there's, you know, really just that training of kind of, you know, hey, here's how to go and engage with a, you know, fine dining restaurant. Here's the way to go and engage with a multiple location, you know, retail store that needs that upgrade, um, and then you giving them that step of saying, hey, it's not you're not selling a point of sale system. You're getting people interested in it and then sending us the information and then we'll be able to more effectively evaluate their needs as, you know, and it sounds like you're saying you have the agent in on that meeting as well. I'm sure that's a big learning experience as well, right? For them to be in there while your team is doing the demo. Yeah, it's huge. And and it changes every single day. I mean, things like, you know, EMV and EMV tip adjust and the difference between pay at the table or order at the table and which peripheral device actually connects with Aloha, connects with with Micros, and do they want to keep that particular system? Because most of the time, as we've discussed before, they've invested thirty grand or fifty grand or seventy five thousand dollars into this system. Is it something that they're willing to walk away from? Right. And a lot of times the answer is no. So so what's compatible? What isn't? What works with you know Wi Fi? What works with Bluetooth? What what works with just you know, geolocation nearby. And so it seems complicated. Even when I hear myself say it, I'm like, holy smokes, so much different (laughs) from a terminal. But here I am, you know, five years removed from having these first conversations and what I just said out loud, I would have never been able to say out loud, right. You know, five years ago. And so just those few little words that I just mentioned out loud, allow me to at least sit down and you know, have a beer with, with the restaurateur. And he says, man, I am getting killed in chargebacks or I'm not swiping any cards anymore. Everything's a dip. Am I losing money? Am I making money? Because you remember James, we went through this whole pin pad era, you know, maybe six years ago or 10 years Mm -hmm. ago where we were convinced as bank card people that if, if the merchant didn't use their pin, you know, they were going to pay all this extra money. And then here we are 10 years later where, we don't even really care if the merchant nope. uses, you know, uses the cardholder pin or a pen pad because right. it doesn't even really matter. Thank you, Dick Durbin. The Durbin <laughs> pin, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and so the whole thing changes so fast. Right. And that's the greatest part about this whole industry is that that allows us to stay ahead of, you know, things. And, and I've listened, I've watched all your episodes on 
surcharging versus cash discounting, and now point of sale systems right. are actually integrating some of these concepts. Yep. And so all these different buzzwords mm-hmm. that allow somebody like you, allow somebody like me, who have made an amazing living in an industry that most people have no idea even exists, like transaction fees and swipe fees. Like we now have this new opportunity, this windfall, this land grab opportunity to be able to get ourselves in a position to make more money than we've ever made. And it's exciting. Of course, it's scary. You know, come along with that excitement. All we have to do is just, you know, calmly raise our hands, calmly decide this is this is where I want to be. This is the next frontier. I just need to educate myself enough to be able to pass on that deal. And as much as I would love to be able to say, you know, that Matt Hoskins created free terminals or Matt Hoskins created the bank card industry, like I've done none of that. And certainly PayProTech is not the only company now that has a point of sale of team. Course, right. We might have been the first. I could actually I could actually say that we probably were the first that had yeah. a point of sale team that had over forty years experience selling and installing and supporting point of sale, like over the last three or four years, other ISOs have caught up. And I, you know, some of them I admire greatly. Like I think of Michael Nardi at Electronic Payments, guy's killing it, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you probably know better than I, but I think he's bought his own point of sale system and he's supporting it. I can think of Harbor Touch doing an amazing job. Mm -hmm. I can think of the Clover ISOs out there, the first data doing an amazing job. It's just finding that particular person or that particular company that you trust, that you know, will send you your upfront money, will send you your residuals, and there will always be problems, but can you get a hold of someone that will actually make it right? And I know, James, you and I have partnered in the past. Our current situation leaves us in different places, but I know that you will always do the right thing, and I think you have that same respect for me, hence the reason that we do things like what we're doing today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man, definitely. So, Matt, this has been, like, so much awesome information, and I want, real quickly, before I let you go, I want to get a couple of pieces of advice from you to share with our listeners because our podcast has, um, you know, the ISO executives listening and then a lot of individual sales agents. So let's talk about both of those. If you could kind of distill this experience you've had over the last five or six years of making this transition to be more integrated with technology and selling these POS systems and things like that, what is one bit of advice you'd like to leave with the individual agent that, you know, they're listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, I've heard James's videos, I keep hearing this, that I need to I need to take the leap. What do you tell them? Man, that's that's uh you know, such a such a huge question. I could go a million different ways with it, but I'm gonna keep it real short and real simple. Number one, don't let anybody tell you that today's opportunity is any different than the good old days of payment processing. Today's opportunity is greater than the days that I started. Today's opportunity is the ability to go from what I call zero to hero. Uh, You know, my learning curve was probably, or my, my curve of creating an ISO or being a top, you know, president's club sales agent, whatever you want to call it was probably five to six years. Today, I really feel like from ground zero, knowing nothing to month six, that the, that the technology along with the support, you know, from these different companies, PayProTech included, allows you to do things that simply did not exist in 2003 or 2007 when the iPhone was invented, 2012. Today's opportunity is amazing. So if you haven't started, you've just been listening from the fringes, I would say jump in, go jump in. And if you have started, you're an industry you know, vet, you've been around 15, 20 years, or seven years, or eight years, and it's been good to you, maybe you want to do something even better, is I would just say challenge yourself to learn a couple new things, figure out what you really believe to be true about the future. Do you think that terminals are going to be around forever. I personally don't, but some people still do. Right. Do you think just like the iPhone replaced the flip phone, just like Netflix replaced Blockbuster, just like Tesla is selling cars for sixty and $70,000 into a space that, in my opinion, was really a thirty dollars or $40,000 space and selling a lot of them, do you think that these new point-of-sale iPad you know, Android-based, super slick system for $1,200 or $2,500 with a $99 SaaS fee or a $49 SaaS fee on a monthly basis, 
will replace Aloha, will replace Micros, will replace digital dining, will replace all these legacy point of sale systems that we know when we walk into these places today. Do you believe that will happen? And the answer to me is an astounding yes. It's already happening. Right. Then jump on board with learning the lingo, with partnering with someone who can help you in that particular space. And I believe sincerely, wholeheartedly, when you turn around in three years or five years or seven years, that as good as real estate is, as good as you know, starting your own retail shop or starting a restaurant, I believe that this really is the space that allows people to create the wealth, the time, freedom to you know, network with some amazing individuals. James, you have met a ton of great people in this space. So yep. have I, people yep. that I've come to love and admire. You're one of them, obviously. Uh, like th- this really is a- an amazing space. And all it takes is just a relationship, a phone call. And, uh, you know, I-, I would say this, and this isn't, uh, you know, James didn't pay me to say this, but follow James' stuff, learn from it. I do. You know, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I still watch your stuff every time you put it out. That's awesome, Matt. Thanks. So, uh, so last question then. So obviously so much of the advice you just gave is really good for the ISO owner operator as well. But, um, if you could shift gears and give that one piece of advice to the ISO operator, you know, they're all frustrated, you know, they tried Clover, they tried this and that and the other thing, and their agents are not, you know, buying into it. They're not selling it. You know, there's this, this constant frustration. They know they need to make the switch at this point. What advice do you give to them to, to get their team to that next level? No, that's a great question. I would just speak to those people who are, you know, dealing with the same, you know, challenges, frustrations, ideas. Uh, you know, I call them, I call them uh, plagued in the shower, right? Like every time I take a shower, <laughs> I'm like, well, what if we did this? And let me do this. Like, oh, yeah. let's go get it. And then by the time I get that's to the funny. office, really what I'm doing is, you know, putting out fires. But here's, here's what I know to be true. There are a ton of startup, iPad, Android-based, cloud-based, point of sale systems that are out there. Me personally, and I'll give a plug, you know, to Jesse and Jay and Veronica at Paradise POS. I met those guys when they only had, you know, a hundred installs or 125 installs. Right. And I learned, I saw their product. I said, you know what, this is just as good as anything else I've seen. And so from an ISO operator level, like find somebody like that, because what they really have is amazing engineering unbelievable amount of money spent to create this product. They just don't have any distribution. Right. And as an ISO owner of an ISO operator, like the one thing that you have to leverage, the one thing that you can do, whether you're doing 30 deals a month or you're a paper tech and you're almost a thousand deals a month, it's still deals. Right. Right. And that's what they need. And when I partnered with paradise and of course they've grown into a bigger company and partnered with others, people, which is great. But when I partnered with them, all they really needed was distribution. Right. And so you come form this partnership and you trust in them. They trust in you. You, you get on board, you hit your wagon and you say, this, this is where we're going to go. And for some people that have an FD contract, the only real choice they have, which is a great choice is Clover. And you and I, James have seen a ton of Clover. Oh yeah. Right. Huge. But some, some people don't. Yeah. Huge. Some people don't have an FD contract. Maybe they have thesis. Maybe they have, you know, global, or maybe they have EPX or whatever it is, you have options to get somewhere else, whether it's Revel or Paradise or, right. you know, Vend. I'm just thinking of the ones that, that we sell the most of every single month. You got to go meet those people and you got to sit down with them and you got to look in the eye and say, if I put all my eggs into this basket or if I give you the majority of my business, what am I going to get in return? And the money really is not the most important part. What's the most important part of the two things that we talked about? Can you install for me? Right. And can you support for me? Because I know as an ISO owner yep. operator, the one thing that I can do is sell or right. else I would not be an ISO owner operator. Exactly. You have the distribution. So Matt, this you has been, it. you have to leverage that. This has been awesome. I know everybody's gotten a ton of value from this. Uh, tell agents and ISOs where they should go if they want to learn more about you and Paypro that's simple, man. It's payprotech with no H, P-A-Y-P-R-O-T-E-C.com. And I've said this a thousand times since 2003, and I'll say it again today. Happy to help anyone in the bank card industry, whether or not they partner with Payprotech, they partner with whoever. Like This is a close family industry, and when you go to shows like ETA or the executive leadership forums or some of the regional shows – 
it's the same people that you see over and over again. Right. And not all of them are going to do business with you, but those are your friendships. And those are the things down the line that you'll be able to hold on to and say, I know that I woke up and I did this right because I always gave my opinion and I always got other opinions and advice from people that maybe I didn't do business with. And maybe there was no monetary value. Right. And James, I would say that that's that's where you and I land. Right. right. You and I have had a friendship and a respect and an admiration. I'm not sure you've ever made a dollar off me or I've made a dollar off you. Right. However, I, I can go to you and you can come to me and we can bounce ideas and, and we're better for it. Right. And that's that's the same thing that I would say. That's Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to do the podcast. I really appreciate it. I know all of our listeners uh, enjoyed that and uh, got some great value from it. Thanks very much. Thank you, dude. Thanks for all you do, man. Appreciate you. Yep. Have a great day, man. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, so this week I wanted to talk about a court ruling, James. And, you know, these legal things can be a little bit tough. But, yeah, but, sure. You know, this is, I found this incredibly interesting. It was a, a appeals court ruling that uh, determined even though a merchant failed to comply with PCI security standards, mm-hmm. thereby leaving it vulnerable to hacks. Right. Um, first data violated terms of the merchant agreement by withholding millions of dollars in card receivables to recoup the non-compliance fines and assessments. Right. So uh, this was in the Sixth uh, Circuit Court of Appeals, and it was uh, Specs Family Partners versus uh, First Data Merchant Services. Specs is a liquor store chain, and, okay. it, and it, was hit with a, it was hit with a malware attack that exposed heart cardholder data, and the forensic investigation found that it wasn't PCI compliant. Okay. Okay. Now, the, obviously, the card issuing banks incurred some costs for, you know, reimbursing and sure. re- reissuing cards and so forth. And the card brands issued assessments on First Data's acquiring partner, which was Citicorp, to recover those those monies. Okay. Now, um, Citicorp, in turn, turned to First Data, said, right. go after... This liquor this store and get and get our money for us, right? Right. So first data began began you know withholding card receivables in a reserve account, um, citing the indemnity provision of its merchant agreement. Right. Okay. Now just I I you know again this is legal stuff. So for folks who don't understand it, and I always have to look these things up when I'm doing these right. things, you know, and in, indemnity refers to a contract provision. Where one party, the in this case the merchant, agrees to compensate the other, the acquirer or the processor, mm-hmm. for any harm, liability, or losses right. arising from the contract. Sure. And in this case, it was six point two million dollars. Whoa! Oh, so this yeah. is a this is a large merchant. This is a large okay. liquor store chain. Got it. Okay. Apparently, it had throughout the state of Texas had these liquor stores. Okay. So you know they drink a lot down there. I guess I don't know. <laughs> but let's face it, sure. liquor's expensive. Yes. So, okay. You know, um, so the specs, the liquor store, said no way. You know, they sued First Data for breach of contract. And for and the district court uh, sided with the liquor store. And it said that these assessments were consequential damages, not, uh, you know, so because of the merchant agreement specifically foreclosed liability for special, indirect, incidental, or consequential losses. Wow. How fast, how long do you think it'll take for First Data to update their agreement? And that, that, First Data, Uh, and maybe some other people too, because you don't know, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, consequential damages, you know, obviously refer to damages that occur because of, you know, somebody failed to do something. Right. And, you know, the damages that ensued. So the idea is a malware hit their POS system, I'm assuming. Right. And it exposed cardholder data that was being stored in the POS system. Yeah, and it was like only at two of their stores. Okay. Okay, but... Okay. But but obviously the PCI noncompliance was for the whole chain. So the whole chain was not PCI compliant. Right. Meaning what? They hadn't done their scans or something, I guess? Yeah. 
Yeah, or they had somehow. Uh... And first data was saying that because of this, because of the non-compliance with PCI, if they had been PCI compliant, this would not have happened. This would not have happened. Which does make sense because then if the malware would have hit their POS system, it wouldn't have found the cardholder data potentially. Potentially. Right. Right. But, okay. But again, you know, oh, okay. but this was interesting, you know, because uh, when first data that appealed the uh, the district court ruling. Right. Right. And the appeals court said, yes, indeed, the assessments were consequential damages and thus were waived under the merchant contract. Wow. And it also held that the assessments could not be imposed as third, quote, third party fees and charges. Right. Because they were not routine charges. Right. Yeah, because the the language probably said we also have routine third party. You got it. <laughs> so therefore, the uh, appeals court said first data yeah, breached funny. its contract. But here's what I thought was the most consequential part of the decision: the justices opined that the card brands execute uh, exercise discretion when they issue assessments, do not always impose them, and do not always impose assessments simply for PCI noncompliance. Hmm. Which, of course, is true because, let's face it, the only time they do is when there's a breach. Right. Sure. You know, so therefore, wow. I mean, we've, we've talked about this in the past. There are lots of people that might not be PCI compliant. Right. But it doesn't hit them until there's a breach. Yeah. So I thought that that was, you know, really interesting. And the, and the other thing that the court said, which I thought was very interesting, the appeals court, said the breach was immaterial. Because the two parties continued to do business even after they, it was determined that the liquor store was not PCI compliant. So what they're saying is that if it was really that big of a deal, First Data should have immediately terminated, terminated the, the contract. Yeah. Yep. So if they would have terminated the contract, that would have put them in better standing and to better say— better standing. But because they kept doing business— Right. They assumed that it was fine to keep doing business. Then was then the PCI compliance really that big of a deal? Was that big of a deal. Exactly. <laughs> and I thought that that was, you know, really it's, interesting. You know, to me, the interesting thing about it, a couple things that just jump out to me is, like, number one, we've talked a lot about this whole PCI compliance thing mm -hmm. and the confusion that surrounds it. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think this is such a great example of like there's so many inconsistencies mm -hmm. that literally when a big here comes a big issue and the, the courts don't even know what to do with it. No, no. Because there is no because kind of they standardized thing. Right. They don't have any really case law that, yeah. that backs it up, you know. Well, now they do. Yeah, now they do. <laughs> of course, this ruling is only applies in the Sixth Circuit, which is Kentucky, right. Michigan, Ohio, Tennessee, I believe. Okay. Okay. Sure. But it still could be, you know, well, it could be used as precedent. As anywhere. precedent, exactly. Sure. You know, and 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 I, I when I when I came across this case, I went out and did some research in a couple of legal sites to see what mm -hmm. the lawyers were saying. And, you know, and the one thing that rang clear, as as you suggested, you know, they, the lawyers were like, "Look, at your contracts need greater clarity." Yeah. You know, regarding what and when. You know, what liabilities and right. when those liabilities can be passed through. Which, frankly, is going to be difficult only because, again, you know, when there's this much variation in an industry. Right. How do you make a contract that applies generally to everything mm -hmm. while being specific enough to be enforceable? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think it's going to make it. I thought of it from that way. This would be a really, you know, it would be interesting. I would have loved to have had Adam Atlas on I, here. I know. I was just thinking of that <laughs> as you were talking. It would have been a great time to, uh, to talk to Adam about. But I did I did read up uh, this one woman with uh, Fenimore Craig. It's a law firm. And that, that was her thing is yeah. uh, you need to be um, really clear on, on what and when liabilities can be passed through as well as specific about your conditions for uh, reserve accounts. Mm, sure. You know, because... Yeah, yeah for agents and, and ISOs that may not know what that is, I mean, a reserve account is pretty simple. It's where you're holding money in reserve. Um, and, that, and that is interesting, too. I mean, I think one of the things, too, that in our industry that is a little bit unique is that, you know, even before something goes to court, the, the ISOs, you know, and, and I think the courts look on this with disdain when a business kind of leverages that they have access to the bank account mm -hmm. and they have access to funding. Well, let's just go ahead and keep some of their money. Right. No, no, no. No, you know, like think you about that. You right? got to, you got to win. You know, it's innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, not guilty until proven innocent. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the courts always look upon kind of the underdog as the the party that doesn't have the leverage, mm -hmm. which in this case is the merchant. Right. Um. And so yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think it'd be interesting to see how First Data. I mean, they probably have already updated their oh, agreement. Oh, I'm sure they have. This hand, this was handed down in late June, so. Uh, well, it's already been updated and distributed. I'm sure. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. They've they've stopped accepting agreements from you know. That but one. again, I mean, I think. 
there's other acquirers yeah. uh, uh, and yeah. processors out, out there that probably need should to be, be aware. thinking about doing the same thing. They really should. They really should. Yeah. So and, and I think from a larger perspective, our whole industry needs to put more pressure on the card brands to uh, more clearly standardize the you know whole fraud thing and how this all works because I mean that's really all they do and also <laughs> just standardize you know the the application of the PCI compliance guidelines yeah you know like they're okay. so arbitrary yeah it's very arbitrary yeah so wow really interesting stuff today Patty yeah thanks I didn't think a, I didn't think a law case could be made interesting but you you accomplished it I so. try. <laughs> This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So in today's questions from the field, I want to talk about the importance of the demo. So, oh, you know, yeah. Patty, it's like as, as our uh, the ISO world has evolved, uh, we're doing more and more demos. We're doing more mm -hmm. and more, you know, hey, I'm selling uh, Clover or I'm selling Mint or I'm selling Point or I'm selling some other kind of technology or gateway. And, you know, we want to do a demo. And one of the things that's interesting, I've been really spending a lot of time thinking about this shift because all of my consulting clients are trying to make this shift right from sure. selling on price to selling on value. Mm -hmm. You know, the first thing I would have to say about that is, you know, be careful that you're not too far ahead of reality. Merchants still care about price. Sure. And they care about savings. And if you think that your agents are somehow going to magically make that disappear, you're wrong. Um, but having said that, you know, I've been thinking about making this transition to selling more on value mm -hmm. and what, why is it so difficult? You know, it doesn't seem like it should be that hard. Right, right. You know, you already have all these salespeople. They're already talking to merchants every day. They're selling. Why can't they sell the POS system? Why can't they sell this? And what I've started to identify is this problem of the sales process is not being changed. Mm -hmm. So we're trying sure. to sell a $5,000 POS system in the exact same way as we were selling a VX520. Right. And, and you can't. And you can't. They're different. But specifically, as a, as a part of that that I've really identified to work on is the, the process of doing a demo because salespeople that sell credit card processing are not used to doing demos. Sure, no. So a lot of times they either don't do a demo at all mm -hmm. and they're like, why can't I sell Clover to this person? Did you demo it? Right. What's that? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what do you mean? I, I have a piece of paper I showed them. No, no, no. You've no. got a demo. And there's so many stuff. there's so many people, myself included, that are visually oriented. Right. You know, show me how it works and then right. I'll decide. Right. Right. So it's like if you're trying to sell technology, you have to demo it. But then the salespeople that are doing a demo, the way it's funny, I have this two-step demo process I describe uh -huh. to most salespeople in the industry. And they're like, yeah, that's what I do. Step one that they do is... I have a certain amount of information that I need to present, and so I'm going to make sure that I get that all out to the merchant, mm -hmm. which is a really stupid idea because they don't care about 70% of that information. Right. And so they just talk and talk and talk, you know? Yeah. And then step number two is somehow when I'm done sharing that information, I'm going to very awkwardly transition into some kind of a close. Mm -hmm. So the key points to doing a successful demo is... Throughout the demo, think of your demo not as one continuous blab of information, but instead blocks of information which start with a question that identifies if this particular feature is important to the merchant. Yeah. yeah so sure. let's let's say you're doing, you know, uh, you're trying to do time management. Maybe there's a time management app that allows their employees to clock in and clock out. Uh -huh. So you start by saying, let me ask you a question. How do your employees currently clock in and clock out? So you start with a question. Right. The merchant says, oh, we just installed a great new system in the back. We paid thousands of dollars for it. It's amazing. I have an app on my phone, blah, 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 blah. And you right. say, well, that's great. Now, let me ask you another question. We don't need to talk about the Time app on Clover because they don't want that. They have something already. Sure, sure. So if you imagine a sales rep goes in and leads off with that, 
without asking that question. Without asking that question, then it's the sales loss. Yeah, right? the merchant doesn't care one bit about that. They, you lost their attention. Yeah. Now, if the merchant says, well, each of our employees has a three by five card, and when they come in each day, they write down when That's they got time there, they, right? Time they left. Sure. Now you say, oh my goodness, I'm so glad you told me that. Let me show you what Clover yeah. does to solve this problem. Well, then you demo it. That's step two. So step one, ask a question to see if you even need to demo that feature. Okay, so let me Good. just ask. Okay, so you step one, you ask. Yep. Okay, do you have what do you do for time? Right. They say we already have this, you know, right. cool system. So then, what's the next question? Well, and then the next question is the next feature. Right. Exactly. Right. So right. the idea is you have your list of like twelve. I was just doing a consulting session. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday for an ISV. That they they're a point of sale company for grocery stores. Uh huh. And so I was talking, <clears throat> excuse me, to their inside salespeople, and I said. Tell me, what are the main features? Like, why do people buy yours instead of the other guys, uh -huh, uh -huh. the other company? And, um, you know, and they listed six or seven things. And right. I said, what else? And they're like, that's it. That's how it normally is. You know, we talk about technology. We want to demo all this stuff. But really, people are probably buying that solution for one More of ten two, reasons. Right? You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the idea is you have that list of things. For each of those things, you have a question that identifies if they need that feature. Okay, yeah. Then you have a, a demo that you do for that feature, for so that you're, feature. you're prepared to demo it. Right. Then you have a follow-up question at the end to get them to confirm that they agree that your feature solves their problem. Yes. So at the end you say, so you know, based on the time management that I just showed you, what do you think about that? Would that change your process that you have today? Uh-huh. And the merchant says, oh my goodness, that would be amazing. That would save us all this money. We would get accurate reporting, whatever. So you see what we're doing. We're, we're getting the merchant to buy in. Right. Now, if the merchant says, eh, I really wouldn't use that, well, then we know. Okay. So we say, okay, sure, well, that's fair enough. Now, let me tell you about this other feature. And now we go to the next one and we ask them a question. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so it's a process. And then when you get that confirmation of, yeah, oh, wow, that would be amazing, write that down. Right. Now, when you get to the very end of the demo, you have such a smooth transition because all you do is you say, well, um, this has been great doing this demo and showing you all these great features. Let me just run through my notes real quick and make sure I have everything right so we can customize your account. Now, you said that you do really like the time management because of this. Uh -huh. And then we also talked about this feature that would have this impact on your business. And you just read back their agreement. Right. And then you say, okay, awesome. Well, let me go ahead and put all this on the paperwork because I want to make sure I get everything down correctly. Right. Pull out the paperwork and fill it out. Yeah, nice. They've Sweet. agreed, they've agreed, they've agreed, they've agreed. And guess what they're going to do at the end? They're going to agree. They're going to sign. That's the key to doing a demo. Yeah, excellent. Good stuff, James. Thanks, Patty. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.